Hi everyone, we're here on Radically Normal today with Dr. Ross Blackburn, who's a rector of Christ the King, a Anglican fellowship in North Carolina, and we're going to be talking about his book, The God Who Makes Himself Known, the missionary heart of the book of Exodus, and I can't wait uh, to get started here. Uh, Dr. Blackburn, thank you for joining us today. No, I'm glad to be here. You're good to ask me. Thank you. Sweet. And uh, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself further, aside from what uh, Michael's already said? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, I've been uh, the, the rector of this um, this Anglican church in Boone, North Carolina, for the last 17 years. Um, I've got a wife and five uh, five children. Um, I live in Boone, North Carolina, which is in the Western Mountains. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what else to, maybe some things will come out along the way, but uh and I'm, I'm sort of a simple guy. I don't do much besides uh, church and family. And, uh, you know, that's that, that that's it. So uh, mostly. But anyway, I'm very, very pleased, though, with what you all are doing, too. And thank you for letting me be a part of it. Thank you so much. Do you do any hiking in the mountains in North Carolina? I do some. Yeah. Although I had a I, 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 I uh, had a suffered a weight room injury, which don't, it's, it's not really that impressive. It's what happens when you get in your fifties, you, you know, you, you don't have to do anything impressive to get hurt. And so I blew a knee out a couple of years ago. And so I'm still, um, I haven't been doing a whole lot of that, but it's a great place to do it. And, uh, it'll happen again at some point, it just takes time. I'm not, I'm not 21 anymore. So, <laughs> well, it's great to talk to you. So just getting into your your book, it's about the missionary heart of Exodus, but just thinking broadly about the Old Testament, the New Testament, a lot of people see the New Testament as very missional, whether it be Paul's missionary journeys in Acts or the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But they, when they think about the Old Testament, they just think, oh, it's just about Israel, and it's not about other nations or other people groups or anything. So just thinking more broadly, how do you think we fix this, or how do we broadly see like what God is doing missionally in the Old Testament before we jump into Exodus? Well, I think, you know, you can see, um, I think, clues even from the very beginning of, of the Bible. Um, uh, you know, in, in Genesis 1, um, the Lord created man in his image um, and said, be fruitful and multiply, male and female, be fruitful and multiply and, uh, and fill the earth. Um, and so right at the very beginning, and if you think about what that implies, you have this command that the Lord... Um, desires that his image fill the earth as you know that's what happens if 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 the image of God is fruitful and multiplies you um, you know God's image fills the earth and the implication of Genesis 1 is and have dominion over it in other words govern as the Lord did which you know as, as you can see from Genesis 1 it's a, it's it's a way of um, of ordering and blessing you know the creation that he's, he's he's made and so you even have this at the very beginning you have this impulse for the lord to uh, to make himself known in the old testament um that happens always uh, well i shouldn't say always there are places where the lord uh steps in in unusual ways then and now but 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 generally it's through a people um and so when the lord takes this uh good world that has gone dark let's say um, and wants to bring light into it, he calls Abram. And he says, in effect, in you, all the families of the earth would be blessed in, in, the, you know, in the people that, that, that come from you. Um, in Genesis 18, you know, the Lord says, I have called Abram that he may raise his children, you know, to basically to, to follow the law so that they, in effect, um, 
will uh, carry forth uh, the purposes for which God has made, uh, which God has called um, Abram and his people. And so really in the end, in the Old Testament, what you have is Abram and his descendants are called to um, know the Lord and to be his people in such a way that the rest of the world um, will in effect, this is in the words of Deuteronomy, you know, my paraphrase, say, who are you and who is your God that you live this way, that you are this way? Um, and so that was, um, you know, the, the, the purpose for which God called Israel, not for herself alone. I mean, there is a way in which I think the Lord does love Israel um, as an end to herself, but that's not the end of the story. You know, it, it's always um, includes the, uh, the nations that the Lord seeks to um, reach uh, through her. And so it's really no different than what Jesus says. He says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. You know, that's what Israel was called to be. You know, it's, it's, it's said explicitly of, uh, of the servant in Isaiah. That was the call of Israel also to be light to the world. And so really you see that missionary impulse, I think firmly, it's, it's not a stretch at all. I think it may, there may be ways in which it looks a little bit different in the New Testament, but the basic um, heart that the Lord has to um, make himself known throughout the world is, uh, is very much in view. That's really good. And so kind of this, the second part of that question is, how do you think that the church today uh, should kind of remedy this uh, misconception um, we might say that uh, the old the Old Testament doesn't focus as much on missions as the New Testament, and and how do you think that uh, this should affect how we how we view missions? Well, uh, you know, I, I think in some ways we're um, well, in the end, I think it probably comes from churches and pastors and uh, and um, you know getting into the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament, I think, is intimidating to a lot of people. And, and you know, and it takes work. I, mean, I don't want to deny that. But having said that, I don't think it's nearly as intimidating as maybe we think that it is, you know. Um, and, uh, and so I think a, a large part of the remedy is, is just simply to um, understand that the Old Testament was written for our instruction, is useful for, 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 you know, teaching, reproof, correction, and, you know, that we might be equipped for every good work. It's, it's it, to the extent that we believe that, um, you know, that, that's a, that's the invitation to get in and try to figure it out, you know, and it's not going to um, be easy, but, you know, um, there's a, there's a proverb um, and I'll, uh, I'll turn to it and read it because I don't want to, I don't want to butcher it, but I think it's, it's, uh, I think it has everything to do with, um, with how we study the Bible. It's from Proverbs chapter two, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You know, I, I think in some ways that's really what, um, you know, what we need to do is just uh, just keep at it, you know, dig for it um, and, and really seek to understand the Old Testament for um, for what it is. Because uh, and, and I think also I think we're, there's this illusion that somehow we really can um, understand, uh, you know, the sayings of Jesus and who he is and why he came and all that apart from the Old Testament. It doesn't you know, that doesn't mean we don't understand anything, but uh, but there's an awful lot there that we're going to miss if we don't if we don't get into it so it really is um i think an imperative that um we uh we understand what this is that we're reading and and i think if we uh, if we do that 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 at least for me and i think for many um i mean that's motivation 
really to to get into it. And I don't think in the end, I, the more time I spend in the Old Testament, the simpler it becomes. I, I really believe that there are hard questions. I'm not denying that, but I, I think there's a simplicity that um, that governs the scriptures that um, becomes clearer the more time we uh, attend to them. That's so good. I've actually heard it put that just starting off in the New Testament without the Old Testament foundation is like walking into a movie and it's 75% over. And so it's so hard to understand uh, the rest of what's going on. And uh, I was actually discipling a guy through Revelation this year, and we were just spending a lot of time in the Old Testament, just a lot of time in Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Genesis, Exodus. So yeah, that's incredible. And uh, just so thankful you said that. And so just thinking about in your book, you kind of, you, like I said earlier, you walk through it canonically from the first chapter to the 40th. And so just as we get in there, how do you see like if the first 15 chapters are like the first like central structure of Exodus, how would you say like, what are like the main pieces we see of this missionary heart in uh, their time in Egypt and then the time in the plagues and uh, well, before that, God's calling of Moses and then their their exodus um, through the Red Sea. In that first uh, structure in Exodus, where do you see like this heart for uh, God's glory among the nations in that in that section? Right, right. Well, in some ways, it's just the the, the mere um, fact of Israel's calling, you know, which is going to become clear as we go into the book of Exodus. But, um, you know, is, is really the foundation of it. Um, you know, so in other words, the Lord is going to deliver a people and is going to unify them as a nation in a way that they have not been unified yet. If you if you look at Genesis 50, you have basically Jacob's family, a big family that's, you know, because of the whole Joseph thing, whatever, they're in Egypt and they're waiting out of famine there. Um, by uh, Exodus 1, in that gap, they've become a nation. All right. Well, how is the Lord going to form them into a nation? Well, it's, you know, in large part, it's going to happen through this uh, through this deliverance, which they will be reminded of, you know, the Passover. Um, you know, is given every year so that the people remember this deliverance. And they won't forget um, the very head of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You know, don't forget it. Have no other gods before me. You know, um, so in some ways, I would say the very fact of um, of the deliverance um, uh, is 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 to set to set Israel apart to be that people. Um, but I would also say that the way that um, that the Lord delivered them is. Uh, um, missionary in, in, in its core. The Lord didn't have to uh, bring Israel out through a series of signs and wonders and plagues, etc. As a matter of fact, in uh, you know, at Exodus 9, um, the Lord says explicitly, you know, again, my paraphrase, Pharaoh, um, uh, I decided to do this way in order to make a point. You know, um, I could have made short work of you, but in effect, I want the nations, Egypt, Israel, and the rest of the nations to know that I am the Lord. And so he ends up going through a series of, of plagues um, that um, step by step demonstrate that the Lord is the creator and sovereign ruler over, over nature and, and really over, over any other God. And so, and, and Egypt gets the idea. I mean, you can see actually some of the Egyptians, you know, as, as these things go on, um, acknowledging that the Lord is not like their gods. And I think the implication of the Exodus is that there would have been some Egyptians with them, you know, in the mixed multitude that, that, that came out. Um, because the criteria wasn't nationality, it was blood, you know, as to who was spared and, and such. And so, um, and so I think you can see, uh, I, I think you can see um, the Lord, the manner in which he delivered Israel as, as, uh, as having to do with his desire to be known 
um, for who he is amongst the nations as well. And so you see, for instance, Jethro um, in Exodus 18, uh, Moses' father-in-law, you know, he knows because he's heard, you know, he, he's not an Israelite, um, but, uh, but word gets out. And, um, and you see this in other places too, but anyway. That's, that's actually a really good point. Not one I've, I've heard before. And I think as we continue to, to move forward, it, it potentially becomes a little bit more clear as we, again, to like the 10 commandments, as uh, you pointed out uh, with the law and uh, Mount Sinai, but uh, move, continue to move, moving forward uh, with these uh, same themes of the missionary heart of the book of Exodus. Um, can you uh, continue walking us through, uh, you know, the wilderness, the complaints of Israel, and then getting into the law? Sure. Sure. All right. So the Lord delivers um, Israel um, through the Red Sea. They're out on the other side now. All right. Pharaoh's armies have drowned. Again, Israel's hopefully been paying attention, although, you know, we might wonder, um, uh, you know, given how, uh, how quickly they seem to forget. Um, but we know about that, right? We're not a whole lot different. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, if the Lord is going to, I tell you what, let me, um, let, let, let me go law and then backtrack to the wilderness. Go for it. If the, law, if the Lord is going to use a particular people to um, make himself known throughout the nations, all right, they're going to have to be a people that um, are like him. You know, we're made as the image of God. And in fact, the law is a, uh, is a way for, for the Lord to say, um, you know, you to, to live into that calling is, is, is the image of God. Um, be holy as I, the Lord, your God, am holy. We, that's from Leviticus, but that was really in some ways undergirds the whole law. In other words, he gives the law, the Ten Commandments, so that Israel can bear his name, his character, can be like him in the eyes of the nations. All right. And, uh, and you can see how this would happen really, I think, readily. I mean, you know, think of the world that you all live in or the world that I live in. You know, how many communities um, do you know where people um, love the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? In other words, they, there are no other gods before him. You know, um, they bear the name faithfully. They uh, honor their father and mother. Um, they, uh, let's see, thou shalt not murder, okay, which Jesus says is not just simply about refusing to lift the knife against your neighbor, but it's about bitterness, it's about treating people kindly and, and, and not uh, disrespectfully and such. Um, uh, a community that's sexually faithful, and that doesn't have to do with simply adulteries, we might understand it, but, but our eyes and lust and things like that, that really do honor the gift of marriage and such. A, a people that don't steal because they're content with what they have, and they don't bear false witness because they're true, you know, truth matters. You know, I mean, you can, you know, as you, as you think about what the law was trying to do, um, you know, it describes a people that is really quite unusual. You know, I mean, the, the church has a hard time living into this, you know, much less the world. Um, but the point is, is that it's very different, attractive, or to use the biblical word for it, holy. Um, the Lord gave Israel a mission statement. If you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, ye shall be for me my treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. All right. In other words, a nation that is different from the rest of the nations. That's what holy means. It needs to be different or distinct in some way. Um, a priestly kingdom or a kingdom of priests. In the Old Testament, the priest represented God before the people. Okay, so by analogy, Israel is meant to represent God amongst the nations. And how do they do that? They, by, by keeping the law. You know, so in effect, they would bear the character in the name of the law. You know, because the law in the end is just simply a reflection of the Lord's character. Um, <clears throat> just like you could go into my house and you could look at the way my wife and I uh, 
you know, run or govern, if you will, our, our household. You'd know something about us by the kinds of things that we allow our kids to do and don't do and the ways we spend our time and, and all, um, you know, it's just the way that it works. <clears throat> all right, so if that's the, the way that, um, that the Lord wants to form a people to represent him throughout the world, then the question becomes, well, how is Israel going to do it? Well, obviously they have to do it by keeping the law, but how will they do that? Well, that has to do with trust because nobody, I mean, you know, think about yourselves, you know, none of us follow somebody or obey somebody unless we're compelled, but not voluntarily. We will not follow somebody that we don't trust, you know, that we don't really believe is willing and able to do our good, to do good for us. And so um, in the wilderness, what you have now is the Lord really, in, in some ways, I would suggest creating situations for Israel to learn to rely upon him. They've been delivered from Israel. Okay. I mean, uh, from Egypt. All right. Well, now what? There's no water. Well, that's a big deal. You know, what are they going to do? Well, they, they grumble. And you know the story from Exodus 15. Um, the Lord provides drinkable water for them. Ah, but now food. What are we going to do about that? And so the Lord sets up this system where every night Israel goes to bed with uh, empty cabinets. They have nothing to eat for the next day. They go out and collect it that morning. It happens every day of the week, save the Sabbath, you know, when they're allowed to collect twice or double the amount on the sixth day. Right? But the point is, is that day by day now, what is the Lord doing? Well, he's teaching Israel to trust him because, wow, there's, uh, there's bread this morning, too. And, there, and, and the next day there is, and the next day there is. And, you know, they, they're, they're not obeying the Lord at their expense. You know, he, he's taking care of them. Uh, what about the Amalekites? You know, Exodus 18. Um, you know, they'll wipe us out. Well, you know, you remember the whole Aaron and her and holding up Moses' hands, and the Lord ends up delivering um, the people not just with food and water, but from, uh, you know, threat really militarily. I mean, threat in this case. Um, and so the point is, is that they're in situations of crisis and the Lord shows himself faithful. Okay. In other words, what he's trying to do is he's, he's, he's building into them a, a history. Okay. So that they'll, so they'll trust him because nobody or, you know, Israel will not obey the Lord if they don't trust him. Yeah. And that was the way it was in Genesis three, wasn't it? You know, why did Eve and then Adam, why did they eat the fruit? Well, in the end, they believed the serpent's word that the Lord wasn't trustworthy, you know, that he wasn't, they didn't, he didn't have their best at heart and that his word wasn't reliable. Once you can convince somebody that and break that, that trust, you know, it's over. And, um, and, uh, and Adam and Eve ate, it came like an echo, you know. And so, so the wilderness, I think, really has, has very much to do with the Lord um, training, Actually, I think you can, I think the word actually, you know, is, is probably even better translated to train than to test. They're, they're related, and I, I don't think there's anything to, to quibble over, but, but I, I do think that that brings out something important in the wilderness, that the Lord is really, maybe like a father trains his son, you know, in, in, in certain ways, um, trying to do that with, uh, with Israel. And so, um, and so the, the, the law and Israel's conformity to the law not as an external code, but really because they've learned to trust the one who gave it, you know, um, is really the, uh, um, you know, the way by which he makes himself known. And if you think about it, that's exactly what happens in the New Testament. 
you know jesus's impulse is is identical you are a city set on a hill you are the light of the world let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven i mean this is all old testament stuff right there um so um so yeah so then uh from there I may ask you to ask me some specific stuff about the tabernacle if, if you want, because there's a lot of a lot of details there and it's all good. But he 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 and the, the Lord um, dwells amongst his people, you know, um, in other words, again, he's not he's he's not looking to Israel to simply carry out a command or a commission only. He actually wants to dwell amongst his people. The interesting thing about the tabernacle is that at the very same time, it is a structure that shows that he wants to dwell among his people and he does. And at the same time shows that he can't, you know, because the tabernacle, even though it sits at the center of the camp, um, carefully shields the Lord in the Holy of Holies from the, the rest of Israel. And only the high priest is able to go in to, uh, you know, before the Lord and, and where he is. And so you have both of these things going on at the same time. Um, and so Israel um, dwells or, 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 or knows the Lord um, in part. Or to say it differently, they know um, the Lord in the person of the high priest. Because the tabernacle um, is a place where if you want to go into the presence of the Lord, it happens, Aaron, you know, it's the high priest can go in and, and, and once a year. right? And so Israel is shut out. But then again, remember what the, what, what the priests are, okay? The priest represents God before the people and the people before God. And so what we have, even in the book of Exodus, is we have the people of Israel coming into the presence of the Lord in the person of the high priest and only in the person of the high priest, okay? There, there is no um, sort of direct access to, to, to the Lord in Exodus, nor is there for us, you know? We come before God in the person of Christ and only in the person of Christ. I mean, you know, the book of Hebrews makes, uh, and you should read Hebrews in, 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 alongside Exodus. Um, you know, there is no, um, I mean, we, we, we come in our high priest, you know, who, 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 is, who is Christ. But so, so, so we see this um, very, I, I think, deeply relational, but at the same time, also deeply uh, there, there, there's a way in which the Lord, um, you know, is drawing his people in, but also saying, you know, at the same time with the, with the tabernacle, um, you know, you, as, as he would say later in Exodus, you can't see me and live, you know, the Lord's word to Moses. Um, and so that's really in the end, um, you know, the missionary engine, if you will, um, or the engine of God's purposes in the Old Testament, simply set a people apart so that they will, Love him, trust him, obey him, and as a result, and love one another, you know, and as a result, um, be different and distinct from the rest of the world that, uh, that needs to know. And, um, and that's really, I think, where the, um, where the Old Testament is, is so helpful here, because I, I think there's a way in which, um, if you keep it to the New Testament, there's uh, a way in which I think we may think of missions as things that missionaries do rather than as the presence of God amongst his people in the world.
from which missionaries go out and and you know and, and but the point is is that is is that it begins and is rooted in always a community um and uh and in some ways i think you know our our, our missionary practice often doesn't reflect that well enough honestly i think in some ways maybe i'm getting a little far afield but i think you asked this i think there's a way in which um we don't uh appreciate the importance of local communities and local churches um, in missions. You know, as a you know, missionary feels a calling, and so he'll find a missions agency willing to send him, and send, then he goes out and raises support, and maybe he gets a lot of it from his church, but maybe he doesn't, you know. He just goes and tries to find Christians on all kinds of, you know, in all different places to uh, to support what he and his wife or his, you know, or, or a team or whatever is doing. Um, and it can, and it can be a very lonely thing and often not, uh, rooted in community. Like, um, you know, to my mind, anyway, it ought to be, I'm not saying that the Lord works with us in all kinds of ways. And, uh, and so I, I don't want to be too narrow, um, in this, but, uh, but if we can remember that, um, that this is about a people, um, and the witness of a people in the world, then, um, you know, in some ways I think, uh, there are some practical implications to that that would serve us well. And, and the Old Testament helps us in that, in that way. That's so good, right? I want to keep talking about the tabernacle because I love some of your thoughts in the book. But real quick, just going back a tad, um, I think Peter ends or some one commentator talks about this in his commentary. But in, Gen, in, uh, in Exodus 18, when Jethro uh, feasts with them and hears what the Lord is up to, do you view that as any sort of symbolism as like there's a Gentile amongst the people of Israel? Or do you not think that's an actual theme that's in the text? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, no, I am. I am. And I, I, no, I, I, I think so. I mean, I think there's a, I mean, I, th I think you can see that in other places though. I mean, as I said, you know, you, uh, or I don't know if I said this or not, but um, you know, the, um, the criteria by which people, um, left Egypt or were spared was, was not nationality. It was, it was, uh, it was having the blood on the, the lintels and such. And so, you know, the mixed multitude, um, I, I think clearly, I, I think, you know, it, it can't refer actually, if you look at the context to women and children, it must be non-Israelite nations or, or, or Egyptians themselves. Um, and then you have, uh, and then you have um, Jethro there, you know, just as a singular person, but okay, he's there. And then you've got, um, this, uh, you can see this in Moses's prayer in Exodus 32. I mean, you know, um, Moses says to the Lord after the golden calf, when the Lord says he's going to destroy Israel, what will the nations think if you do this, Lord? The reputation that you have established, you know, is, is at risk here. So, you, so I don't, I don't think it's, it's coincidental. Now, I don't know how much I would want to press there um, in Exodus 18, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm very, prepared to see that being important because in some ways if you think about uh what the lord was trying to communicate to the nations that he is the lord i mean jethro gets it you know and in other words he's an example of of, of what the lord was seeking to do in uh, in delivering egypt in the manner in which he did that's so good so i just want to read one verse so in chapter 25 verse 8 uh in the instructions uh, to build the tabernacle, it says, and let them make me uh, a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So there's lots of talk about how like the goal of the Exodus is so that God can bring them out and so he can dwell amongst them. And so, uh, and then we see though in chapter 32, they feel that the Lord and their mediator Moses is absent. So they construct the golden calf. So can you, and I know you flesh this out in your book, but can you talk a little bit about 
the importance of the Lord's presence, like in the instructions for the tabernacle, and then maybe how that relates to the falling out in chapters 32 through 34 a little bit? Well, you know, the, in the golden calf, really the, the thing that's um, the thing that is uh, um, driving Israel to, you know, to, to make the calf is, is fear. You know, where, where is he? Um, you see this uh, in, in, in Moses. Um, matter of fact, Moses is amazing. You know, Moses is, um, Moses asks the Lord to spare Israel after the, the golden calf. And, uh, and bit by bit, he seems to relent almost in stages, the Lord does. But one of the things the Lord says to Moses is, um, all right, um, you know, you can go in, but I'm not going with you. In other words, yeah, carry on. You know, we're, we're not going to, he's already agreed to relent uh, in the, you know, in terms of destroying the people. Um, Moses will have none of it. You know, he, he is not going in, um, you know, apart from being there. Um, you know, I, I think in some ways, you know, you can see evidence of real repentance in, in Israel themselves, you know, in the way that they respond, you know, in, uh, in, in, in Exodus 33. It looks, it looks like um, there's a, uh, a real spirit, a genuine spirit of repentance there. In other words, um, you know, from fear that the Lord wouldn't be with them. Um, and it may in some ways be another uh, another test like it was in the wilderness. You know, what do you do when when, it, when, when the Lord seems to be uh, seems to be distant? You know, in this case, Moses isn't coming back. You know, we've been with Moses this whole time. You know, um, you know, I actually I'm, I'm just sort of thinking about this right now off the top of my head. But, you know, that there's there's a way in which that that may have even have been a, a, a test for Israel to say, OK, really, who are we trusting in? Maybe, maybe even beyond Moses. I don't know. I, I'll have to chew on that. Um, okay, so hang on. I, I, I need to come back to the question that you asked. <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, the, the, um, yeah, the dwelling in, in, in the midst. Um, you know, in the end, I think that that's everything. You know, the Lord didn't call people to obey him because he likes to be obeyed. You know, he, he called people to know him. It's, it's very much like um, the sense you get in Genesis chapter 3, where Adam and Eve, they sin, they're in the, um, you know, they're in the bushes hiding in, in their fig leaves and such. And the Lord asks, well, where are you? And, um, you know, well, why, does, why does he ask that question? Does he not know? Um, you know, you can maybe, you know, we can think about why he might have asked this. But one thing I think is, is uh, obvious and that is that the Lord expected Adam and Eve to be there. In other words, as he's walking in the garden in the cool of the day, he expects to find Adam and Eve there. And they're not. You know, that's really the point. You know, this, this, this is why the Lord created Adam and Eve, you know, um, for him and, and to know him, to dwell amongst them, you know. And so I think what we're seeing in, in uh in the tabernacle is again the Lord, and and you know this is again in shadows and in in part, but um, you know reestablishing really what it was His intention the whole time that the Lord really would dwell amongst His people, and the tabernacle stands as a as a promise, if you will, a pledge. It's, it's not full, it's not complete, but nonetheless of of, of the Lord's desire to uh, to do that. So did I get to what you were asking? I I. Uh, 
But yeah, that was that was really good. I just want to say thank you so much for basically walking through the entire book of Exodus with us and with all of our listeners. I know that was super helpful to, to both of us, and I hope it's helpful to anyone who's listening right now. But some lighter questions that we like to ask our guests. Um, uh, we just want to get some of those uh, before we run out of time. But the first one is, uh, in the past month, uh, months to a year, um, who has been uh, an, the most influential or perhaps just an influential Christian um, to you, uh, potentially something you've studied or um, anything along those lines? Just basically, who has uh, been someone who's influential for you? Wow. Okay. Um, well, I have a, a dear pastor friend of, of mine from years ago. I, I, I encountered a, a sermon that he had recorded in, I think, like the early 90s, wherever I came across uh, um, recently. Um, his name is Jim Pinto, actually. He's from Alabama, and he's uh, very heavily involved in matters concerning life and, and such. Um, he cast a long shadow over over my life and to have that uh, have that tape of his i think has been a, been a real blessing to me of, of, of late in particular um uh i came across a book um I'm, I'm sort of a reformed protestant guy if you had to pin me down that's sort of my my, my leanings um, um i'm an anglican so i you know anglicans are sort of tough to pin down a little bit but that's sort of where i where, where i've you know where i i, I land and Sorry the reason to- that I, Sorry to interrupt you real quick, but right here I actually have uh, the Baptist Confession of Faith from 1689. So kind of a Reformed Baptist. Uh, okay. I'm thinking right here, Reformed Baptist. So, Well, so you're going to love my answer, and this is why I prefaced it, because I, I actually came across a book called Fire Within. And it's a book written by a Catholic priest about two old Catholic saints, and it's about prayer, which is not the kind of thing that I normally spend my time in. Um, but uh, I haven't been able to get away from it for about a year. And it, it has, uh, I think, uh, deepened my own sort of sense of, uh, of the Lord and my relationship with him and prayer life in, in ways that uh, it feels new to me. And so, um, and his name is Thomas Dubai. He's been dead for a while, probably years or so. He's sort of, a, he's the most sort of regular, kind of thin, utterly unimpressive looking guy. And I've actually listened to him on YouTube and uh Kind of like the people that the Lord tends to use, right? Sort of the worldly, unimpressive, but uh, but you know whatever. So that's been that's been something that uh, that's been very helpful for for me um, as well. But um, you know, a lot of the old English Puritans are, are, are heroes of mine. John Bunyan, John Newton. Um, I love John Newton. You should read John Newton if you if you're not familiar with um, his letters. But um, anyway, so there, those are a few. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that recommendation. And that was Fire Within. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. I'll have to check that out. Big, uh, big reader. So, uh, and just lastly, our last light question is, uh, we're both big coffee drinkers. We talk about it all the time on the podcast. Do you have a favorite coffee drink or are you even a coffee drinker at all? Anything of that sort? I'm the wrong guy. Yeah. I, I, my best friend is, or one of my best friends is a coffee roaster. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I used to, I used to drink uh, coffee, but I'm, you know, I, 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 Caffeine doesn't do well with me. I, I can't. I don't respond to it like I did years ago. So, uh, so anyway. But um, if you uh, if you have the uh, the inclination to Google bald guy brew, um, uh, he's he's uh, his name is Don Cox. He's a character, and and the way that he does things, he does it the right way. I, I will tell you that um, his his um, 
his mission, he's also an Anglican clergyman also, his mission really is to use coffee as a way of, of reaching into the 1040 window. And um, so actually this relates to, I guess, what we've been talking about. What he noticed is that the, uh, is that the least reached peoples in the world are actually um, often the greatest coffee producing peoples in the world, that there's wow. some real overlap. And so he's a coffee roaster, but he's a missionary and he uh, is involved in trying to um, plant um, or work with, with uh, coffee businesses in the, in, in the unreached world even. It's, it's kind of a neat thing. So anyway, I don't know how much he goes into that on his website, but if you have a few minutes and you want to track that down, it's, uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a fun guy actually too. He's, um, anyway, so yeah, bald guy brew. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today and really just unfolding the book for us and just showing the missionary heart of Exodus. And again, everybody who's listening, the book is The God Who Makes Himself Known, The Missionary Heart of the Book of Exodus. Thank you, Dr. Blackburn, so much. Well, glad, uh, glad to be here and I appreciate what you all are doing.